Mech Pilots Online Battletech Manuals Online Long-Term Memory Offline All Systems Bungled Initiating Bungletech Podcast In our 13th deployment of Bungletech, my spheroid co-host Michael and I take a detour in the spirit of the season and share our appreciation for all those across the Battletech community that have made an impression on our journey so far. We offer some equally strange and exciting ideas to bring the party back to classic Battletech and read an excerpt from A Fox on Galatia by Brian Young. This is it, Mech Warriors, your official Bungletech holiday special. Let us pray to Kerensky it does not go down in history with infamy. But before we start, we want to mention our Patreon. As you know, we launched it last month, and I wanted to give a shout out to our first five Patreon supporters. A big thanks and round of applause for Technician Clint, Mech Warrior Lorian Sunrider, Mech Warrior Metal Ed, Lore Master Magnum Danger, and Lore Master Retro Laser. To you, our honorable patrons, your support means the world. Primary Objective Podcast Topic Segment Initiating. Welcome back, Mech Warrior Pals. The holiday season is here, and you have just had a set of Battletech manuals and mechs land on your lap. How exciting! But man, what is this? So many rules! If only this was a beer and pretzel game like it was considered in the 80s as identified by our previous guest, Keith Han. If only there was some way to bring that easygoing, accessible, party game feeling back into Battletech. Well, Michael and I have done just that. We took some time to brainstorm a few different rules additions or modifications that would bring the party back into Battletech, just in time for the holiday season. And we consulted with our Patreons on it too. Michael, how pumped are you for this episode? Uh, reasonably? I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't get as pumped as you, so like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at a high pumped level for myself, but... I mean, I can barely hold a candle to the to the bright flame that is Nathan. <laughs> I hear your pumpedness. I can hear it. I'm so high. <laughs> exactly. Hype machine. Okay, so what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to walk through some of these fun party game inspired rule changes you can make to bring the casual into classic battle tech. Oh, yeah. But first... Let's start with some suggestions offered by our wise patrons. Lorian Sunrider, a Mech Warrior patron, mentioned a game they used to play called Called Shots, where if you land the shot, your opponent has to take a shot. But if you miss your shot, you have to take two in return. It's a great way to get alcohol poisoning with the way Michael rolls. And the way that you, you pilot, like, oh my gosh. 
my mind reels. <laughs> <laughs> this is another reason streak SRMs are superior. In this game, they don't fire if you miss, right? So technically, I would argue that you wouldn't have to take the shots. Just come in with a streak SRM boat <laughs> and get your opponent super drunk as you slowly whittle away their mech and their psyche. That has, that has potential. But I feel like you'd need some, like, you need some boundaries because, uh, ooh, that could, that could get out of hand. That's fun, though. Lorraine said that because he's no longer in his 20s, it'd have to be sips of beer or some equivalent <laughs> like that. Maybe sips of lemonade or something. But easy to make a, a drinking game out of it, right? We got another suggestion, too. This is from Lore Master Magnum Danger. And this is a weird one, as it should be expected to come from a lore master. It's obscure and vague, and I don't really understand what they meant, but I'm going to share it anyhow. They want to do some sort of variant of pin the tail on the donkey in the form of punch the clanner till they laugh. Michael, what the hell does this mean? <laughs> okay, so uh, putting on, putting on my, my analysis hat here, I could see two ways that this goes. One is that this is an in-universe party game where you invite all your friends over and one of them is a clanner because I guess we're in we're in like, you know, the the later eras where everyone's hanging out and being relatively chill with one another. So you invite all your buddies over, one of them's a clanner, and then the party game in universe is to punch your friend until he laughs. And presumably he's into that because he's a weirdo clanner person. Um and everyone else has a good time. I don't know how that relates to pin the tail on the donkey though. Yes. I could also maybe see this, though, as, as like an actual game mode. Like, imagine there is, uh, you know, one person piloting a clan mech and everyone else is running after them as uh, inner sphere mechs and you have to get a melee attack off on the clanner. And then you win? <laughs> or maybe it's whoever gets the last melee attack on them maybe it's whoever maybe it's whoever kills the clanner but you have to finish them with a melee attack or it doesn't count it's like sinking the eight ball i like it and at the beginning of the movement phase the clanner can use a portion of your mp to spin your mech in a circle <laughs> like pin the tail on the donkey say a little bit dizzy yeah. ah, i'm dizzy and then run pow I think there's something in there. I, 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 could, I could see we it. We should not question the wisdom of our lore masters. I know there is wisdom <laughs> in there that I cannot comprehend. Thank you for sharing that, Magnum Danger. All right, let's get to some of the ideas we brainstormed. And a quick note, we haven't talked about our ideas with each other. So if there's any synergies, it's because me and Michael are just so in sync. And if there aren't any synergies, well, I guess we aren't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how much of it comes through in the actual podcast, but there is a bit of a history of me missing the point and showing up with entirely the wrong thing. So, uh, you know, let's let's see how this goes. All right. Well, I'm excited. Do you want to start, Michael, with your first party game rule change for Battletech by addressing what pain point this would address and the rule change you're recommending and a name for the rule change if you have it? Okay, so 
the first one, the first few that I've got here are sort of generally around the idea of like making something that you can still play with the the battle tech rules, but it's going to be like a really quick game mode. There's not going to be a lot of strategizing or tacticizing. It's just going to be like a big mess where you roll a bunch of dice. So my my first idea was something like a like a mini battle royale. So you you do sort of a king of the hill mode. You pick some hex, which is the goal, and whoever is in that hex on round 10 wins. So at the end of round 10, whichever mech is in that hex, victor. And then you you draw a a circle around it, a a nine hex radius circle around it. And each turn in the end phase, that circle gets smaller. And any mechs outside the circle explode, I guess. Uh, they retreat. And so you you just have this mad dash where you need to push everyone. You know, everyone gets crammed together. There's not a lot of maneuvering to do. It's mostly just going to be rolling a bunch of dice and then maybe body slamming someone off of the hex that you want to be on. You're not going to have a really long game. It's got a really strict end point and everyone's going to be blasting each other pretty much constantly. So I think it could be a fun thing to do, especially if you've been drinking a bit. You, you played Lorian's called shot mode earlier and you're not you're not thinking straight and you don't want something that's too too brain intensive. So that's my sort of idea. For some reason, that reminds me of the anime Keijo, which... I'm not going to explain what that anime is <laughs> about. But people that get the references, see if there's a connection there. That sounds fun. Nice. I can see how that can make it more accessible for sure. All right. What's your number five? You know, you're a new player. You're coming to the game and you came in, you shot your lasers. Man, this game's cool. I'm shooting lasers. I'm moving. I'm running. Oh, no. Heat phase. I got to calculate heat. And I miscalculated my numbers. I didn't realize I had to add an additional heat for every stand attempt. I didn't realize that the heat of the PPC was 10. I thought the heat was 1 and the damage was 10. I don't know why I thought that. I read the form wrong. Well, with my custom rule change, you can mitigate the risk. My custom rule change is called strip heat management. As a player, if you remove <laughs> a primary article of clothing at the table... You dissipate 10 additional heat in heat phase to a maximum of 30 heat. But when you put that article of clothing back on, you receive an additional 10 heat in the heat phase for the next turn. And when I say primary article of clothing, I mean a top, a bottom, or underwear. Jackets, hats, jewelry, and other accessories do not count. Basically, this means that the max heat you can dissipate is 30. Run in there, do an alpha strike get to 30 heat, realize you're going to explode, take all your clothes off, get naked, 30 heat's gone. That's a good battle tech game, in my opinion. Everybody loves strip poker. Strip heat management. It's so simple. I feel like you wrote this one entirely for yourself because it fulfills two desires of yours personally. One, you can run your Jenner 2 without melting. And two, you can strip naked in front of people and it's <laughs> less weird. <laughs> it's socially <laughs> acceptable. It's the rules of the game, Michael. I'm just playing the game. I don't want to do this. The Jenner runs hot. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> okay, well, if, if anyone ever plays this mode, you have to tell us. Yes, you do have to tell us. 
and we'll tell you once I convince Michael to play it with us on our next game. <laughs> All right, what's your number two? This one is for the really new people. So, so picture this. You, you, you show up and people start showing you this like weird, complicated game and they start talking about mechs and you're like, what's a mech? And so they're like, well, you know, it's sort of like a, like a robot, but like really big. And you're like, what's a robot? <laughs> so they break out an old children's toy with two little figurines in a boxing ring with little, little levers underneath that makes them punch each other. <laughs> so this is, this is Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Oh you, yeah. You you pick two mechs and their their feet are welded down and their weapons are removed. All you can do is punch. I, I feel like it would actually kind of work as an intro to like the structure of rolling dice. It would be a chance to just have them roll some dice, roll some hit locations, and then mark off damage on a on a on a sheet. And then eventually someone's head explodes when you roll a when you roll a six. That's a it. very satisfying, quick way to play the game. You could have a whole tournament. Say you have like a whole bunch of people. You're having your, your annual battle tech group party, but you know, it's going to take forever if we have like 16 people playing. Turn it into a tournament. One on one different people until eventually only one mech remains. Who is the Rock'em Sock'em Robot Master? Although we legally probably can't call it Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I assume that's a trademark. I should have come up with some like fun pun name for this. I'm I'm realizing now that I, I didn't do my homework. Punch him, punch him, punch him again, robots. I don't know, Michael. <laughs> we'll send it to the branding department. They'll figure out. I'm sure our lower yeah. masters will have some wisdom to share in this regard. All right. What's next for you? All right. Well, you're playing the game. Introduce a new player. Oh, my God. This game's so cool. I'm moving mechs around the table. Oh, movement. This is pretty simple. This is pretty nice. Get to weapon attack phase. What? Acronym? Gator? Oh man, this is math. I don't want to do math. Math is for nerds. Nerds built the mech. I'm a mech warrior. I'm cool. I want to pull the trigger. I want to shoot. Address this issue with the Pong attack phase. What you do is you set up eight cups laid out like the damage diagram, with three different lines on the floor parallel to the table representing the short, medium, and long-range bands. <laughs> Instead of calculating and rolling for weapon attacks, boring, bounce a ball into the cups from the appropriate range band for the weapon. If a ball hits the head cup, it has to be bounced again to see if it lands on the head with the second bounce. The second bounce being the final location regardless of where it lands, even if it misses. Simple, accessible way to do the weapon attack phase. It'll probably take a lot longer though. Actually, I don't know if it will take a lot longer considering how challenging calculating Gator can be for some people. But it may be as an equal switch and you're throwing balls. You're being active, man. That's actually like a, a pretty fun idea. It's almost like the like LARP equivalent of it's like LARP resolution for a, for a mech or a Battletech game. I haven't crunched the numbers, Michael, because, you know, I'm not, not a big numbers guy. But I think... I think, I anticipate, I sense that because of the layout of the damage diagram, that technically the percentage ratio of amount that will go to the center torso, left torso, right torso, will be similar to the dice rolls. Like, because naturally stuff is going to be bouncing to the center, highest chance, right? Anyhow, I haven't done the numbers. 
And you could you could even add like extra, you know, for the like really big zones, you could put two or three cups for the center torso, make it a little bit easier to hit those. Dang, that's got that's got potential. Mm -hmm. I mean, heck, you, you there could be like if you took out the beer part, you know, this could you could you could spin it out as like a like a younger children's version of Kool Aid Pong attack phase. I was thinking more like like a like a like a box set, like you know, this this is this is feeling like like a '90s toy. Mm -hmm. Where you'd have like different, different like bouncy balls of different types. And so, like, oh, I'm going to shoot you with my medium laser. So I use the green bouncy ball. And, you know, I'm shooting you with the PPC. So I use the big blue ping pong ball. Yeah, man. It's like, that's a, that's a, that's a fun I think idea. we should stop playing Battletech the normal way. This just sounds really, <laughs> I feel like there's also a lot of skill in this. Take the randomness out of rolls, skill of the bounce. Do you think it would be compatible with the advanced rules? Where there's a will, there's a way, Michael. <laughs> let's not let's not go too deep, Michael. Let's just, you know, keep this casual, relaxed. Don't <laughs> want to overwhelm people. They just got their battle neck mm -hmm, books. Mm -hmm. They're just looking through the pages like, whoa. Let's keep it simple for them. Keep it simple for me as well, please. <laughs> All right, what's your number three? Okay, so you show up. Someone shoves a sheet. It's got like all these little circles and stuff on it. And then they're like explaining to you how they're like, okay, so this is the, this is the weapons on your Mac. And this is how you shoot. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's like eight things. I got to calculate all of these. I'm going to have to write like an Excel spreadsheet. But no, <laughs> you only have to write one because you are playing alpha or strike where every shot is an alpha or <laughs> strike. You fire one weapon every turn. And if it hits, it does the damage of all of your weapons put together. Oh. Minimizes dice rolling. You only roll one to hit. You roll one location. But dang, those hits are going to hurt. Yeah. That's like combining grouped rules or grouped weapons, but making it meaner by letting everything hit the same place, too. Does the weapon change each round that they change? Like, do they choose and are the range bands based on that different weapon? Yes. Oh, yeah. So then you got to set up. You got to walk up and be like, oh, now I'm in medium laser range. And next round, I'm going to be in PPC range. Mm -hmm. There will definitely be some mechs that are even more broken in this. Um, like, I'm, I'm imagining if you have, like, I don't know, a mech that has, like, one PPC and then, you know, a bajillion SRMs. Yeah, and one Gauss rifle or something like that. <laughs> a Gauss rifle and just load up with machine guns. Just sniping in the map, hiding for those eight rounds, and then, <laughs> bow, Gauss machine gun. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> so I think it could be fun. You know, it'll probably make for a fast game and less math required. Again, if you're playing it after the called shot game. Or maybe it works well with the called shot game. Then, then you might, then you don't have to worry about like, oops, I, you know, I missed with all my machine guns, therefore I have to like drink 16 shots or something. I don't know if that's how the called shot works. I but. think it does. And I think it also, that you could also combine this with the Pong attack phase game mode too, because then rather than throwing a ball for each one, you're just throwing one each round and the ball changes. Yes, Michael. Yes. Genius. People that are listening, I hope you're <laughs> taking notes. We will share these on our OneNote, by the way, too, because I know you're really excited to put them into action. <laughs> all right, what's next from you? All right. Well, we've all been there. 
You're playing a game and you feel like you're stuck with no way of victory. And this is the worst feeling for new players. When they're trying to learn the game, they start out and they feel like they're always behind, like they can't win, like it's a losing battle from the get-go, right? They got maybe a first round through armor crit on a foot actuator. Oh, the rest of this game is just going to be so painful. It's not fun. Well, that can be addressed with musical command seat. In the end phase of every round, players rotate around the table to the sound of music. When the music stops, players <laughs> sit in the chair closest to them and take over the control of that battle mech. If the unit in which they sit in is already destroyed, that player sits out for the round. So even if you're knocked out, you have a chance when the music kicks in <laughs> to get back into the game, baby. Dance around. <laughs> coming back to life, coming back to life. Hey, yeah. <laughs> this one's probably the most basic of my rules. <laughs> I I don't even know what I what I think. Like, do you think BattleTech would survive that? Would it still be BattleTech? Yeah. I don't know what it would be. I just know it would be glorious. Walking, dancing, <laughs> people would be into it. No one everyone would always feel like they had a chance. There'd be strategy. You know, I'm positioning my mech here in the hopes that I switch out to the music to this other mech so I can set up a kill situation. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> Don't underestimate the strategy. Yeah, maybe actually, maybe it would combine well with like an alternate victory condition. Maybe if it's like not uh, last mech standing, but if you did something like the grinder game mode where it's like how many kills you can get or something. Like if you're, you know, if you kill a mech, you get one point. If you die, you lose one point. And then, you know, if you cycle around, it sort of, it still exactly. works. Exactly. Grinders, they're my least favorite game mode. And this would make it fun because it would add music and dancing. Nathan, Nathan seems to think that the main thing Battletech is missing is more physical <laughs> activity. And I will say that technically, musical command seat, dancing around is optional. You can just walk around, but I would dance. I'd dance. And I'd dance like the snake. Clan Steel Viper dance. I'd like choreograph something. It would be like slithery looking, smooth looking. Oh, man. Okay, so this is actually revealing itself as another idea of Nathan's solely because he wants to do something weird at the battle tech table and get away with it. Run up, alpha strike with my Jenner, rip all my clothes off. <laughs> the music starts playing. I slither around like a snake on the ground to a next mech. Oh, this mech's no longer hot. Put my clothes back on. Think of the possible combinations. <laughs> infinite gameplay ideas oh man <laughs> i'm so down for this all right what's your next one okay so i i mentioned that like my first few were sort of like could potentially make the game like easier to play or get into or something at some point that stopped being the case the last two are not they don't necessarily make the game easier but they might still make it a fun party game so this one Imagine you're playing the game for the first few times and you're getting absolutely wrecked because you you picked some mechs that look cool. But, you know, it turns out that actually you picked the bad mechs and, you know, none of your weapons are working well. And the person sitting opposite you, they picked that cool mech that has the 
these things that are like doing like 15 damage to you from across the map like that's so dumb but thankfully you're playing swap meet and anytime you destroy a section of a mech or a whole mech at the end of the round you can choose to swap any weapon from that destroyed section or mech and overwrite one of the weapons on your mech. You only change the weapon stats, so you take all the properties of the weapon, the damage, the heat, the range bands, but it doesn't affect all the other complicated, difficult-to-calculate numbers on the mech. So the, the critical hit zones, the weight of your mech, those all stay the same. You just swap in the actual properties of the weapon, and it stays like that for the rest of the game. This is ingenious, Michael. Of all the rules we've discussed today, and they've been high levels of intelligence and mastery, <laughs> this is genius level. This is worthy of, oh, I will take this straight to the con. That's what I think. Or the presenter marshal, or whatever, whatever floats your boat. I'll take it straight to the top. This could be a... President of the Republic of the Sphere. <laughs> uh, something dragon of the... You know, whatever <laughs> grand dragon that I don't guy know. named dragon on the end of my street the guy with the dragon tattoo take it to him yeah <laughs> this is cool this could be a separate game when i like it simple it blows something off you're like oh what do you have in there oh you have a ppc i suck it in Whoop. i just imagine this visually too like vacuum cannons <laughs> yeah it feels like something that you get in like like a much lighter game it's absolutely hilarious to think about, like, in any sort of lore way. But, uh, you know, I, I just think it could be fun. I know? love it. it might, might produce for some, like, like toss-ups, add some chaos towards the end of a match when, like, you know, gauze rifles are getting blown off and installed into Jenners and stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. We're trying it. All right, Nathan. What do you want to do at our table next? <laughs> You're going to notice that my rules are getting more complicated because the simple ideas in my head were running out. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever played Battletech and you're playing a team game, right? But it still feels like it's pretty independent. My buddy's making decisions on his own. I'm making decisions on my own. It just feels like a bit of a cluster mess, man. Oh, that's no fun. I want to play a real, real team-oriented game of Battletech in which our success really pins on our work as a team. Well, then you should play Rumble Seat Charades. Every team is controlled by two players. Each round, one player controls the units, and the other player first writes down on a piece of paper the intended strategy of the units, and then utilizes charade gestures to communicate to the other player what they should do. In the end phase, the player doing the charades reveals what he wrote down, if his teammates successfully applied the strategy proposed, the team chooses one of the following rewards. An additional 5 heat mitigation on each unit, a plus 1 defensive target modifier on each unit next round, or plus 4 on next round's initiative roll. If the teammate failed to apply the strategy correctly, instead, the opposing team chooses one of the following penalties to be applied to the team. An additional 10 heat on a single unit, a plus 2 TM on all shots by a selected unit next round, or the reduction of all that team's unit's base MP by 1 for a round. Work on those communication skills, baby. Okay, so this is, this is definitely a Nathan rule, because 
it has like two pages of rules text and a whole bunch of like riders and and optional choices but i kind of like what's at the core of this having to having to coordinate non-verbally i guess what what sort of restrictions would you put on the charade if you're saying like i want the locust to attack that atlas you like make a little like locust movement with your body i'm a fast little guy fast little guy and then a gun shooting and then a big big like husky muscle man going oh on his chest yeah that's what i see and that would be communicating one thing and then he'd stack it with multiple units and it would become shakespearean in nature epic 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 performance and and you have to do this all away from the table you can't like you can't like point at locust point at wolverine and then make like a gun motion yes you can't do that yeah no <laughs> you have to do it with your body yeah uh okay like charades can't point at stuff i think i don't know i don't play charades i, I i'm actually having a hard time visualizing how this would play we'll try it in our next game <laughs> it'll be really easy for me to communicate while i'm naked i have all my limbs as tools to communicate <laughs> don't cry michael <laughs> Okay, that was I literally had no I no inkling that's that's even every one of these from you has been even more out of left field. <laughs> well, bring me your last one out of left field, Michael. Okay. So, I'm I'm going sort of the same the same path as you where the rules get more complicated over time. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't really have a story for how like this helps a new player. I guess maybe like your 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 friend's been rolling really well and like hitting you all the time and you've been rolling like garbage and missing every time and that sucks you know you want to watch robots on the enemy team explode as much as they watch robots on your team explode so the game mode is punch drunk and each round in the end phase for each of your mechs if that mech successfully landed an attack you increase your gunnery and pilot skill by one and if you were hit by a weapon or physical attack, you decrease your gunnery and pilot skill by one. And by increase, do you mean improve? No. Okay. Okay. If you're hitting people, your your guy loses it. Your pilot just suddenly can't hit shit. Okay. Uh, suddenly, you're you're missing all over the place. And if you're just getting hammered, your your pilot gets dialed in. You know, gets focused and can start blasting the enemies. And, uh, you know, I think this is probably going to make games longer, um, but it, it might make them a little bit more competitive. Maybe not. Maybe competitive is the wrong word because this is all sort of like party game modes, but like it'll make the match closer. You know, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of comeback mechanic. I think that that is a great equalizer. Actually, it's easy to apply for one and It'll change the strategy of how you're attacking things because all of a sudden it'll be really important for you to knock things out in one turn. So you might be swarming individual units, but still in the long game, it'll give more opportunities for comebacks both ways. So I think you're right. It might make things take longer. I don't think by that much, but I do think that it will make things feel more equal. Another, mm -hmm. another great way to balance things out that seems a lot more sensible than my proposal of musical command seat. <laughs> I need to actually think through the math a little bit because I, I think there is the possibility with this that everyone's numbers could just get really high and then no one can hit anything and you all just have to like 
stand still next to each other, trying desperately to hit each other. But, you know, that's that's the risks we take. Uh, you know, sometimes party games don't go as expected. Sometimes all the pilots get hammered and um, can't shoot anymore. I like it. Easy to apply. Applicable. And yeah, man, if you know you can't get your shots off on the table, just, you know, take a swig of something with your buddies, you know, sip a Kool-Aid, <laughs> a sip a 7-Up Dr. Pepper, some brand of beer, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> it's all good. Laugh it off. Excellent. Eggnog, right, holiday season, eggnog. Take, a, take some <laughs> eggnog, man. Yeah. All right. What's the, what's the crown jewel of, of Battletech party game? We've all been there, people, right? You get invited to a board game event. You're super excited. You get there. You look at the table. There's all these mechs. There's all these hexes. And you think to yourself, I thought we were playing Settlers of Catan. This is BS. <laughs> I don't want these stupid mechs. I want to get sheep. I want to get wood and ore and all that stuff in that game. The most famous game of all time. I want to play that. I don't want to play classic <laughs> Battletech. Well, if you ever have someone react to a game like that, and funnily enough, I have had people that have, when I've tried to suggest playing Battletech, they're like, let's play something like Settlers of Catan instead. <laughs> and I'm like, damn you, Settlers of Catan. Die. I hate you. But let's say we want to make something for those people. We apply the rule mode called Movement Phase Monopoly. This game mode played on a single 15 by 17 map sheet. Each player gains a resource for each unit they own in the initiative phase. In the end phase of each turn, the player has the option to spend a resource to buy the hex their unit has landed on for the cost of one resource plus the defensive target number granted to units in that hex. An opposing unit cannot move to that hex that's been purchased unless they pay a resource to the owner of that hex and they suffer a plus two target modifier number on attacks they make from this hex. The game ends when one side owns 85 of the board hexes or owns the majority of hexes with no hexes remaining to be purchased or when only one force remains standing. Bring Monopoly and Settlers of Catan to the classic Battletech table for the ultimate gaming experience dang that's a lot of mixed metaphors in there um how would you how would you track who owns which tiles you put a little counter down on it i have those like uh those like jewel counters oh like little glass beads yeah just put yeah. those down with the color of the team easy and then oh my god i didn't even think about michael holiday season shiny glass beads pretty it's so seasonal <laughs> as long as you pick red and green change the rule they have to be red and green <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you're playing something totally different <laughs> putting putting aside the um the linking it to monopoly and or settlers or othello or like i, I, I don't actually know what what game it links to best but putting that aside it it is an interesting idea now do you think that the, the resource buying is sort of essential or could you just make it when you land on a hex, you, you own that hex? The reason why I wanted the resource buying is I think that it makes sense for a hex that has a heavy woods and a cover to have more cost to own because sitting mm. in that is more beneficial. Okay. 
But then how, so, so how many resources do you get per turn? You get one resource per unit on the field, excluding you've been paid for by the other okay. team. So assuming it was all planes and you had four mechs on the field, in order to win, it would take 21 turns to be able to buy enough hexes? Yes. Yes, it's a long game mode. It's a, <laughs> but so is Settlers of Catan, and so is Monopoly. <laughs> These games take so long for what? For nothing. For nothing, anybody. Classic Battletech, we play it long, but you know, there's something there. There's the thrill of victory. It's a New Year's Eve game. You know, it's one of those ones that you, you, you buckle in at like four in the afternoon on New Year's Eve, and then you wrap up around four in the morning on the new year. It's for, it's for the long haul. Heck, you could even, you could even uh, integrate a thing where you can use resources to buy new mechs. Michael. Keep it going even longer. <laughs> Let's just say the Jenner costs just one resource. And then the first <laughs> round, I'll spend all my resources on five more Jenners. And then we'll just have a Jenner party. Rather than buy the hex of the table, I will instead fill the entire table up with Jenner miniatures. <laughs> and then someone will push one of them and then we get to roll all the rolls for the cascading oh that sounds like fun and because the resources you get depend on how many units you have buying jenners is like building like it's like building like starcraft scvs you know these are investing in your economy oh my god each side's going to want to buy a whole bunch of cheap mechs at the beginning and just have them mill around in the back gathering resources and then you're going to want to like raid the enemy you could you could instead of making this like a Catan thing you could make this a whole like like a you know like a computer rts type thing oh no man he, 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 he raided my my units he blew up all my jenners my economy's in shambles then we can start tracking people's actions per minute mine's going to be one regardless of how many <laughs> units I have on the field, just so you know. <laughs> going to be a long, long game, yeah, for sure. Cool, well, that's, that's our list. Okay, we each have five. What are the thoughts? Strip heat management, pong attack phase, musical command seat, rumble seat charades, and movement phase monopoly. And I had mini battle royale, uh, not copyright infringing Rock'em Sock'em robots. Alpha Ur Strike, Swap Meat, and Punch Drunk. Man, these names alone are pretty sick. I think it's really interesting how we both have like, we have like, we took very different approaches to this. Yours are a lot of like integrating things outside of, of Battletech into Battletech to, you know, turn it into a party game by by sort of reaching outside of the Battletech rules, whereas I, I think this is probably in, in my nature, I, I look at the rules and I'm like, all right, what do you change about the rules? But everything that I came up with is like, you know, within the bounds of Battletech. That's, a, that's an interesting dichotomy. Maybe that's how we look at the world, Michael. <laughs> Are you trying to work within the systems? And am I the shit disturber that's pulling things into the system from outside. <laughs> Am I putting my plastic bags in the recycling when I know they can't be recycled because I think they should be recycled? 
Or is it because you didn't understand the assignment? The rules of recycling are complicated. <laughs> There's lots of stuff going on there, man. Let's not get into that. Much like the rules of battle time. Much like the rules of life. All right, guys. Well, I want all of you to play all these modes, all our listeners, and I want you to tell us which ones are your favorite. And I'm really excited to hear how strip heat management goes in particular. I know that's going to be a good time, especially if you played in a game store. Game stores are the place for strip heat management to be applied. You want it to be in a public space because we want to bring more people into classic Battletech. And nothing will bring more people in than seeing people take their clothes <laughs> off. Let's be honest. Sex sells. This is the rule that will bring Battletech back to the masses. Especially if you combine it with the uh, punch the clanner game mode and you just start beating up on your friends and the, the called shot and you just start getting absolutely wasted in your local game store. I, I think proprietors generally love that. They love it. Get drunk, take all your clothes off, get in a yes. that's how to. That's how to stay a, stay a patron of your, of your friendly local game store. That's how you bring people in. That's how you build mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, that being said, let's move to our next segment. Bonus objective. Extraordinary proclamation. Initiating. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Before we get to the next segment, we wanted to share some quick thanks to all those fellow Battletech lovers that have bolstered us across our first year of doing Bungletech. I want to start by thanking our industry guests that joined us on the podcast, specifically Keith Hahn, the master of all rules, Trend Sparks, the god voice of Battletech, and Josh from Linvander Studios, hashtag blame Josh. Thank you so much for being guests on our podcast, coming in and sharing your wisdom. It was a really great time. Yep, it was, it was super fun talking to uh, all, all the different guests and all sorts of people who have thought way more about Battletech than I ever have. And of course, I'd be remiss to not thank my amazingly sensual co-host, Michael, for joining in on the ride and providing leadership and decision-making and just being the rock in which I'm clambering all over. Please don't clamber over Strip me. Strip heat management, baby. Strip heat management and clambering all over you. It's happening. <laughs> and of course, our friend Dante, who joined us in for a previous episode, on role-playing in the Battletech universe, and also shared some of his resources that we could share with the community. Thank you very much. Yep, Dante was super cool to talk to as well. One, one, of, one of the amazing guests that, that I've got to meet uh, over this past year. And of course, of course, of course, I want to thank all our listeners, followers, all those who have left reviews, participated in our community surveys, those who've shared us with their friends, and our honorable Patreon supporters. All those things really do add up to fuel the enthusiasm we burn through in this podcast. Yeah, when uh, when Nathan dragged me into this, I mean, I didn't really have any expectations going into this, but, you know, getting a chance to talk to different people and, and know that there's a lot of people that genuinely enjoy what we make here. You know, it's, it's really great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this. And uh, thanks to everyone who uh, who enjoys this. Of course. Catalyst should be thanked as well for organizing great community events, including the recent worldwide event in which I got obliterated in and surely led our entire team to a catastrophic loss. This was led by our local Catalyst reps, Bruce and Paul. It was a blast, 
and I know a lot of work goes into those events. Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of new to the space, but Catalyst seems to really be a, a, a great company and it's great to see all the support that they have for, uh, for the game that we love. Also, I want to thank all my fellow podcasters that were willing to be interviewed and who are willing to openly collaborate on activities going forward. The Inner Sphere has enough splinters and factions as it is. Collaboration makes us strong. Although don't tell the other Steel Vipers I said that. Special shoutouts in particular to Mike the Viking for hosting us on the Valhalla Club Discord and putting up with all the chaos I seem to cause somehow on the back end. Travis from Renegade HPG for all the work they are doing on the card game and in the community. And Alpha Dead One for confessing his love for me on the PPC podcast. Honestly, how often do you get public confessions of love broadcast across the world? Feels strangely good. Yeah, it uh, it feels great to be a part of the podcasting community, and everyone that I've that I've met and talked to has been really welcoming. Best of luck to uh, to all of our our peers and partners. And lastly, a special mention to Lore Master Magnum Danger and Lore Master Retro Laser. Let their wisdom, their beauty, and their strength be known to all in our hallowed halls of clan bungling tech. I haven't run that name by Michael yet, by the way. <laughs> I must now confess on this grand stage of Bungle Tech, my love for you both. I love you both. See? Confessions of love feel strangely good. Or weird. Don't they? <laughs> and I, I don't have a confession of love, but I, we, we, we really appreciate the, uh, the support. It's fantastic to have you on this journey with us. Uh, and we look forward to many more collaborations with you. Thank you for joining us for our first year and our first season of Bungle Tech. On to the next segment. Tertiary Objective. Stories of the Inner Sphere segment. Initiating. Confederate class dropship Foxden. Galatia. 20th of February, 3149. Ever since I was a little girl, I dreamt of going to Galatia one day, said Captain Katie Ferraro, a young commander of the Fox Patrol, as she stared longingly out the dropship window at the swirled marble of a planet below. It's not so great, Dexter Nix, one of the mech warriors in her command, said from across the room. Only the pair of them were on the observation deck for the landing. The rest were off somewhere, buckled in, presumably, ready to make it to Galatia. What makes you say that? She turned to look at him for just a moment, not wanting to tear her eyes from the heavenly sight before her. He pointed his bionic finger out the window and scratched the graying scruff on his chin with his other hand. I mean, it's just a place like any other. Easy for you to say. You've been lots of places. Wish I hadn't been to most of them. Well, how can I know I don't want to go to a place if I don't ever go there? How can you tell you don't want to eat food if you haven't eaten it before? Sometimes it just looks or smells funny. Gladia looks and smells funny. Like mercenary sweat and battered mechs everywhere. 
The whole place reeks of oil, and desperation from every merc unit in the inner sphere trying to make a name for themselves. They'll eat you alive down there if you're not careful. Katie's grin couldn't be contained. It sounds perfect. <laughs> Nick snickered. For you? I bet it would be. You've been here before? Yeah, a few times. When I signed up with other units. Fought here and there. Fought in one of the cages down a time or two. And I wouldn't recommend it. I envy the life you've led sometimes. Katie said, panning her eyes back and forth against the vision of Galatia in the window. There were green spots across its globe that swirled in blue and patches of deep green, where forests clustered around rivers and oases, though much of the world had browned out with the heat. But there was nothing about the planet below that Katie didn't find beautiful, just like she'd imagined it in her dreams. I wouldn't envy too much, Dexter said. Both paths we took led us to the same place. This rusty tin can hurtling through space, right to Galatia this fine January day. I mean, I get that, but your path to get here was a lot more interesting. His bionic arm whirred as he flexed it. Sure he said. More interesting. You've seen so many things and piloted so many mechs and fought against so many foes and lived to tell the tales. Nick shrugged. Barely. And now you're here, in my command, part of the scrappiest mercenary unit this side of Terra. Nick's barely contained a sigh. The age difference between him and his captain showed through like starlight on a cloudless night. Is that what we're calling ourselves now? Scrappy. You have a better word for it? No, I suppose I don't. Then you get to live with Scrappy. The grizzled veteran more than a decade her senior shook his head as the dropship's engines throttled up a bit fine-tuning the final braking maneuver to Galatia. Scarecrow used to tell me stories about Galatia, but I'll be honest, I don't think he'd ever been. Scarecrow? The man who raised me after my parents died. Mechtech. Best I've ever seen. He taught me everything I know about fixing mechs and captaining a merc crew. I feel like I've mentioned him before. Anyway... He told me there were so many wars fought here, and it changed hands so many times, but it always stood. This was the one place a mercenary could make an honest living. The one place they can make a dishonest living too. And really, we've been making an honest living everywhere you've taken us, and you've never even been to Galatia. Katie didn't acknowledge him. There's something magical about this place where everyone comes together to find exactly the right crew they need for the job. When I asked about the Kelhounds, owing to that's where my kit fox came from, Scarecrow told me once about Morgan and Patrick Kell, 
putting down a religious insurrection on the planet by the skin of their teeth. They fought off cultists led by a man named Poor, and when a mech warrior is about to get outmaneuvered by a smarter adversary, like Poor did, they say you've been dealt a poor man's hand. I don't think anyone says that. Katie made no indication she had heard him. She just stared wistfully out the viewport at the oncoming planet. I really can't wait to see it. You'll see a lot of illicit mech fighting too, Nick said with derision. Katie turned to him, smile beaming across her face. Oh, I plan on it. Just be careful out there, Captain. I'm always careful. Nick simply nodded his head. Uh-huh. Kitty's attention turned back out to the window. I can't believe the fox den is going to be at Galaport. Well, that's where you land ships on Gladia, so it makes all the sense in the world to me. Galaport. Kitty practically whispered again in awe. Wonder never leaving her face. It's going to be the best time ever. To that, Katie was glad that Dexter Nix kept his mouth shut. Galaport, Galatia, 21st of February 3149. Katie couldn't contain her excitement while waiting for Frankie Fisher, the Fox Patrol's lead mech tech and engineer, to open the Fox Den's doors. She wanted to set foot on Galatia more than anything, and she didn't want to wait a single minute more. She'd been dreaming of this day for as long as she knew there was a place called Galatia, where mercenaries went to live and work. Ever since the treaty with Comstar long, long ago made Galatia a hub for mercenaries across the sphere, that's where all the greats went. No one else aboard seemed to understand or share her excitement. Evan and Arkey were, besides her, the first two Fox Patrol members. They were terrible with the business aspect of merc work, even if they were terrific mech jocks. They should have been beyond excited to see Galatia. And Nix, he'd already been there. He should have been twice as excited because he knew how great it was. The last of her mech warriors, Rhiannon Ramirez, was probably more interested in avoiding Nyx than she was in playing tourist, ever since they'd broken up. Neither of them really talked about it, and Katie had been playing mediator between them ever since. It was obnoxious, but she was the captain, so it was her job to keep the unit together. If they weren't going to make the most of their time on Galatia, though, that was their own problem because she was going to make the most of hers. To hell with them if they didn't see the opportunity and wonder before them, and she would get them a great gig out of it, no question. Katie's heart leaped as the door squeaked, ready to open. It started to descend, and the blast pit they'd land in would be connected right to the hub of Galaport. She couldn't handle the excitement. Her leg bounced, and butterflies fluttered violently around in her stomach. Katie figured this might have been what it felt like when people talked about love, but she'd never experienced it for another person before. Just mechs and merc work. 
and the glory of well-oiled machines everywhere. Paradise, really. The door descended and opened out onto a feral creep pad cut into one side of the blast pit. Beyond the threshold was a solid ground of Galatia, and her first step would bring her to a place where so many legends had trod. Through the storied history of the devastating succession wars, all the way to the blackout, which was still making communication across the sphere long and difficult. Most recently, as far as Katie had heard, there had been conflict with Clan Jade Falcon on Galatia. The Galatian League stood defiant, having driven away the Falcons just four short years prior, leaving the planet once more a beacon for the best mercenaries in the galaxy. At least, that's what Katie told herself. She couldn't help but smile. Just as she went to take her first step, the voice of Arky Colorado stopped her. Hey, Captain, do you have a second? Arky had a knack for interrupting everything Katie wanted most in the world at the worst possible second. Katie took her step, then pivoted, annoyed. Arky, yes, of course. What do you want right now? At this very second, just as I'm about to set foot on a world brimming with the history of legendary mech warriors. Arky, a big man with black skin and a blacker beard, stood before her, narrowing his eyes in concern. You okay, Captain? I'm fine. What do you need? Because if this is a bad time, I can wait. He raised his hands in surrender. He knew he'd upset something. I mean, I don't want to stop you. He extended his arm toward the boarding ramp like a maitre d' welcoming her to a fancy restaurant. No, it's fine, Katie said. I'd rather deal with it now than later. What do you need? Well, there's a little thing I want to talk to you about. So you said. If it's little, can it wait? Well, Evan and I were, well, we were thinking about getting married tomorrow, and we wanted you to be there. Thinking about what? Katie wasn't sure she heard him right. Getting married. I thought you two were married. You already call him your husband. Arky shifted from foot to foot and he kept rubbing his hands together. Sweat beaded on his brow. I mean, I do, but you know, that was just a commitment ceremony. We were really hoping to get married somewhere special. Oh. Katie didn't know what to say. The annoyance she felt melted away into feeling touched. And you two want me there? We wouldn't have it any other way. I underestimated you two. I thought you didn't care about Galati at all. Where are you getting married? We're hoping for the Archangel. When he said that, a tingle ran up Katie's spine. The Archangel? The Cathedral of St. Michael, patron saint of mech warriors? Arky nodded. Katie's knees got wobbly. That was definitely on my list of places to visit, Arky. I'd love to be there. Tell Evan I wouldn't miss it for the world. When? Tomorrow. We don't know yet, I'll let you know. We still have to arrange it with the priest if we can. If not, it'll be somewhere. Or maybe we'll wait until we make Planetfall somewhere even more special. More special than Galatia? How dare you? You're mech warriors, Arky. Act like it. Arky smiled. 
So you'll come? Of course I'll come, and we'll stay planet side as long as it takes for you to get a quick ceremony at the Archangel. That would be... amazing. Do you need anything from me? No, just to come. I'll let you know a time for certain. Oh, Arky. I'm so happy for you both. I thought you might be. I just wanted to catch you before you left. I know you're excited to get on the surface. I mean, I am, but I've also got my first meeting with a prospective job broker tonight, so I'm just eager to get us some work. That wasn't a lie. During the voyage to Galatia, Katie had spent most of that time following up contacts to try getting the Fox Patrol some work, and a meeting had been arranged already. Arky and Evan could afford to go sightseeing, but none of them would eat if she didn't get them a contract. I'm sure you won't lead us wrong, Captain. You haven't yet. That's not what you said after K-Song. K-Song wasn't your fault. That wasn't what you said after the jocularity situation. That one was your fault. See? You're doing the best you can. Yeah. She nodded and smiled. She was doing the best she could. Now, if you'll excuse me. Arky straightened up into a stiff salute, as though saluting was something they did in the Fox Patrol. She offered him a half-hearted return salute, and he marched right back into the innards of the dropship. Katie turned back toward the egress, ready to set foot on Galatia for the first time. And then, someone cleared their throat. Ahem. <clears throat> Excuse me, Captain. Came a voice. Ramirez. Katie closed her eyes and suppressed a groan before spinning back around to find out what the hell she needed that was so urgent. Yes? Oh, everything okay? Rhiannon asked when she saw Katie's face. Katie knew it was tight and stiff. She tried with every facial muscle to not look annoyed and frustrated, but that probably only made her look more so. Fine, just fine. What do you need, Ramirez? Ramirez and Katie both had raven black hair, but that was where their resemblances ended. Where Katie always seemed to have her hair pulled up into a sloppy bun, Ramirez's hair looked as though she had stepped out of an advertisement for hair care products. Where Katie seemed to perpetually have a grease or oil stain somewhere on her face, Ramirez always looked flawless where Katie sort of melted into her baggy jumpsuit, always in the standard rust red of the Fox Patrol. Ramirez wore a black uniform with a Fox Patrol patch and red accents that snugged right against her. She was taller than Katie, and thicker too, and with a much darker complexion. They were like opposites, really. Ramirez took her hands from her hips and folded them across her chest. Can I come with you out to Galatia City? I mean, I'm going to wander and then meet with a job broker. If you want to come along, I have no objections. Why? Dexter. Says he's staying aboard. And the last thing I want is to be alone with him on this ship. Not after how things went. Oh, I mean, you know Frankie will still be here, I think. And their tech crew? Katie's annoyance faded as soon as she remembered she'd be going to Galatia. 
I don't really... Uh... Ramirez really kept to herself on the ship and seemed to avoid Frankie and the techs. It couldn't have been their personality because Katie fit right in with the mech techs and Ramirez got along well enough with her. Or maybe she only got along with her because she was the captain. Katie didn't know for sure, but maybe this little field trip would be enough to find out. Right, got it. You can come with, I don't mind at all, but we're going, like, right now. Understood, Captain. Kitty eyed the pistol strapped in a leather holster on Ramirez's hip. Expecting trouble? Always, she said without a hint of a smile. Let's get to it, then. Katie turned around and marched. It didn't matter what anyone else needed. She was setting foot right that minute if she had to kill someone to do it. Galatia City. Galatia. Katie couldn't believe how big Galatia City was and how far from Galaport it seemed. She and Ramirez took a light rail train that connected the spaceport to the city proper and through the train car's reinforced glass window, she caught her first sight of the city from the ground. It didn't matter that Gladius City looked like an industrial wasteland on the edges with ivory towers made of glass at the central hub of the city. It took Katie's breath away. It was everything she wanted to see in a city where so much history had happened. She thought about what it must have looked like in the late 2700s, before Comstar made it the hub it was now. How small would the city have looked back then, as it stood on the precipice of becoming the place for mercenaries? Scarecrow had always spoken with so much fondness for that golden era of mech warriors and thought the entire inner sphere had gone to hell as soon as the clans arrived on the scene. But Katie didn't hold to those ideas. There were so many things for her to love about the time they were in right then. For one, she had her pick of mechs throughout history, if she could get her hands on them. And the clan technology that had been infused in inner sphere mechs, or had spurred the innovation to make them better, had improved everything about being a mech warrior. Perhaps it was nostalgia for the great houses. They were still around, though. They just had to compete with the clans now. But for a mercenary... That just meant so many more potential clients. She and Ramirez passed through the industrial parts of town that housed the areas where mech warriors and mercenaries jockeyed for the favor of job brokers or fought for entertainment and gambling as well. Then, they strolled through the shops and warehouses where the damaged or destroyed mechs from the fights would be salvaged and repaired to fight another day. There was something magical about all of it to Katie. She'd never seen a place so dedicated to the life she wanted to lead. And she realized she could die happy on Galatia knowing she was, for the first time, in a place where everyone, for the most part, loved piloting mechs as much as she did. Glorious. The train pulled into the station in the heart of Galatia City's downtown, and the view had shifted considerably from Galaport to here. The buildings practically touched the clouds at the top of the sky and didn't stop. Nix was right about the smell too. Katie breathed it in like a favorite meal. 
oil and ozone alongside the stink of garbage and sewage that permeated the back of any big city. But then, on top of that were the food vendors, battling back against the bad odors, cooking up street food delicacies from a hundred different worlds, and even Terra itself. Hover cars and hover trucks and all manners of wheeled vehicles kept the city bustling, but there were countless pedestrians. The narrow streets were much better for walking than taking cars, and Katie preferred it anyway. Wow, she said, maybe to Ramirez, but maybe just to herself. Even she didn't know. Have you ever seen a city so beautiful? Ramirez looked around and shrugged. I'm sure there's a better part of town. Maybe, but I wanted to stop here and walk. I wanted to get the full effect. Right then, guess I knew what I was in for when I asked to come. You sure you asked just because of Nyx? Yes. Because this to me, Kitty gestured to the city in front of them. This is all beyond belief. That's why I like you, Captain. You know, when we're not on duty, Katie is fine. I always feel weird being called Captain. Anything you say, Katie. Katie didn't even realize she'd started walking down the street. Using the note pewter she'd brought along, she pulled up a map of the area and took them down a few streets, where they turned a corner to a much older part of town. The buildings were shorter, and there, at the end of the street, was the thing she was looking for. Isn't it breathtaking? She asked Ramirez, but the question may well have been rhetorical. What am I looking at? The Archangel, Katie said with awe. At the end of the street stood the Cathedral of St. Michael, just as it had stood for the last 600 years. The building itself looked like something terrifically gothic, plucked from the ancient history of Terra, stone and flying buttresses, bell towers that reached the sky, the stained glass rose window at the front of the cathedral, just above the door, featured a mech warrior with the wings of Saint Michael standing in front of a locust. Perhaps the mech warrior was meant to be Saint Michael himself. He had been the patron saint of warriors from time immemorial, but the mech warriors adopted him not long after the advent of the first battle mechs, and when mercenaries of all denominations had descended on Galatia, the old Catholic Church, even before the split with the New Avalon branch, thought Galantia was a place that needed a bishop and a cathedral. The gables all housed statues of famous mech warriors and martyrs from history. Oh, Ramirez said. The church. That's just not any church. It's the Cathedral of St. Michael, patron saint of mech warriors. Cool. Are you going to the wedding tomorrow? Wedding? Oh, Archie and Evan said they were getting married tomorrow, if they could, and they were trying to make it at the Archangel. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything. No, it's fine, I just thought they were already married. Me too, but those two speak a language all their own. True enough. The cathedral's beautiful though, isn't it? Sure. That stained glass is original, you know. 
Ramirez's brow scrunched up, surely wondering about how that could be possible. Whenever war came here, the bishops and locals would take the stained glass out of the building and hide it, packed in crates. They've reinforced it some over the years too, I'm sure, but with how much fighting glad he has seen, we're lucky to see it still. Hell, that the stained glass has lasted for that long at all is some sort of miracle. There really is a Saint Michael? If you believe in that sort of thing, you must really be looking out for that church. Ramirez looked at the cathedral, and then back and forth up the street, unimpressed. Where are you meeting the job broker? Katie heaved out a breath. <sighs> at a club called the Broken Locust. It's in the area. They seem to like locusts around here. So why'd you come this way? Well, I picked a spot because I wanted to see the cathedral first, and I gave myself enough time to go in and check it out. But if that's where Archie and Evan are getting married, I'm sure I'll see the inside soon enough. So, we can just do some sightseeing until we have to beat the club. I bet the club is really interesting. I mean, it's a club. I checked into the history, it's had a bunch of different names over the years. Nothing significant has happened there. I bet they have something to drink. Oh, it's definitely a club, so I'm sure they do. But I'm going to see what else there is around here we could see instead of the inside of the Archangel. I mean, I'm sort of thirsty. I see. Well, I guess we can go straight to the Broken Locust if you want. That sounds great. Katie tilted her head and squinched her eyes, thinking about the view of the map she'd studied, trying to remember which direction the Broken Locust would be. When she figured out it was straight ahead, then right, then left, then left again, situated a block down roughly behind the Archangel as the crow flew, she started walking, and Ramirez followed dutifully behind her. None of the history had her interested, but when there was alcohol on the line, she sure as hell kept up. Katie couldn't force her mech warriors to care about things as utterly fascinating as Galatia's past, or the weight of history she felt when looking at the Archangel, but she could still be miffed about it. As they walked, she kept her eyes on the church for as long as she could before they had to take that first right turn. Even then, when she had her back to the church, she spun around every few steps, almost making sure the church was still there, still real. Because even now, she couldn't believe she was on Galatia, parked at Galaport, walking through Galatia City. 17-year-old Katie Ferraro would have died. The Broken Locust was like other clubs across the Inner Sphere, only more so. It got its name from the shattered locust cockpit hanging above the bar in the center of the room. The outer walls were covered in murals of famous mech battles from over the centuries, mainly ones involving what looked like the Grey Death Legion. Katie always thought that was a silly name for a merc unit. She understood the commander had named it after himself, and Grayson Death Carlisle was a storied commander, no question. Katie had read stories about him taking down mechs with very little but his wits and bare hands, and knew he'd been a legend. But the unit's name still sounded like it was invented by someone trying a little too hard to sound cool. 
Katie decided she wouldn't say that part out loud. Especially not to anyone in a bar so devoted to the Grey Death Legion. Even if the folks of the Broken Locust did misspell it, G-R-E-Y Death Legion on half of the murals with no consistency whatsoever. The din in the saloon never rose above a dull roar, and the music that covered over it was nothing more than the tickling sedate piano tunes that had been in fashion decades prior. Ramirez seemed rather dejected by that. You said club, I figured there would be dancing. No, Katie said, close to Ramirez, not wanting to broadcast too loudly for fear of anyone overhearing her. I was told this was the sort of place you could have a meeting. Loud enough for your voice to not carry. Not so loud that you have to shout to be heard. Great, Ramirez said, rolling her eyes. Katie pretended not to notice, and maybe she'd fooled Ramirez into thinking that she hadn't. But Katie saw it. She knew what Ramirez thought. It made sense, too, given Ramirez's personality. She wanted a party. She referred to so many of their mech engagements as parties, too. So, Ramirez said, who are we meeting? I think that's him right there, Katie said. She pointed to a darkened corner at the back of the room, a booth where a man sat in the dark right below a part of the mural where a marauder had been destroyed, at the hands of a locust. Well, not really their hands, Katie thought. Locusts didn't have hands. The man's dark complexion practically blended him into the shadow. He chomped on an unlit cigar and sipped from a whiskey tumbler. Who is he? Didn't get a name. I was told this was where to meet him, though. It was a contact of a contact we ran into two or three jobs back. The Lichtenstein situation. Yeah. McPherson. She mentioned she'd used this guy as a broker. He didn't like names, so he wouldn't have to give one either, and this is his usual spot. That was a long time ago, and she must have dealt with him even further ago than that. You sure this is who we're going to meet? Yeah. I made contact through a middleman while we were on our descent. I told them who recommended us and wired their finder's fee over, and they gave me directions here. Ramirez shrugged. Okay, you're the captain. Katie stepped down the stairs into the main part of the Broken Locust and headed straight for the bar. We'll get a drink first, she said, as though Ramirez needed an explanation for why someone would go into a bar and order a drink. More than anything, she just needed some sort of liquid courage. She hadn't been much of a drinker in the past. She was too young to do much. But Archie and Evan had taken her out drinking a few times after jobs, and it had caused a bit of a thirst in her. Never to excess, though. She didn't touch the stuff before jobs are really on the dropship at all. But Archie and Evan drank a lot, and so did the tech crew, and Ramirez, also Nix. Frankie, too. In fact, it seemed Katie was the only member of the Fox Patrol who didn't drink to excess at times. She wouldn't feel bad about having one drink at the Broken Locust. As she got to the bar, she realized this would be drinking on the job, in a technical sense. 
Damn it. The bartender, a woman with a gray updo, a red dress, and a matching scarf tied around her neck, approached Katie. What'll it be? I'll uh, take an urban mech. Sure thing. The bartender pulled the peach schnapps and orange juice and mixed it into equal parts for Katie before looking over to Ramirez. You? Whiskey, please. Neat. Well or top shelf? What's your top shelf? We've got a 12-year McCracken and an 18-year sugar house. Sounds good, but pricey. I'll take the well. You got it. After the bartender slid Katie's fuzzy urban mech across the bar, she pulled up a damp shot glass from under the counter, turned it right side up, and filled it with cheap whiskey from the spigot. Katie turned, smiled at Ramirez, and gestured with her glass to indicate she wished to clink them together. To a new job in the big leagues. To the big leagues. Ramirez parroted half-heartedly. They touched glasses, and Katie smiled wide before taking a long sip of her urban mech through the straw. Ramirez took her well whiskey all down with one gulp and slammed the glass upside down onto the counter, like she'd just completed a challenge. Let's do this, Katie said before taking another slow sip of her drink. You might want to finish that before we go over there. Huh? Ramirez's face pushed tight with obvious impatience. You can tell a lot about a person by what they're drinking. An urban mech doesn't exactly inspire confidence. You might want to finish it up before we head over. But urban mechs are delicious. Delicious and still not confidence inspiring. Katie harumphed before taking another long, slow sip. The level of liquid in her glass slowly depleted, and she could feel it in her head. When she moved, her consciousness followed just a second behind her. The straw gurgled when the liquid vanished. She slammed the drink on the counter with the same verve Ramirez had, but it didn't have the same oomph to it. She shrugged. Whether her consciousness and body married in lockstep, Katie had to talk to the broker. So to his booth, she went. Ramirez followed close behind and Katie liked the feeling of having Ramirez at her back. Someone she could trust. Naturally, the broker had chosen a spot where his back was to the wall and he could keep an eye on all the exits. Anyone who came to negotiate with him would have to leave their back exposed, but Katie had Ramirez. It offered quite a lot of comfort, and Katie was starting to like the fact that Ramirez packed her pistol. Ordinarily, Katie didn't like guns. She didn't feel comfortable around them. They made her feel unsafe, whether it was her wielding one or someone else. Just the idea that so much destructive power was around and she couldn't be safe inside her mech unsettled her. This was really the first time she found the presence of one soothing. As Katie approached, she locked eyes with the nameless broker, and he invited her closer with nothing more than a look. Then, when she and Ramirez came within comfortable earshot, he spoke in a deep, velvety baritone, in a subtle accent she didn't recognize. Ah, oh, you must be my next appointment. Katie nodded her head. Morgan sent me. Yes, yes, very good. 
Morgan's a good friend of mine. Please sit. To Katie's knowledge, the Morgan in question had been dead for 75 years. Or, depending on the speaker, Morgan didn't exist at all. But it didn't matter. It was just a password. She sat down and stayed there, leaving Ramirez to stand behind her staring down at the proceedings with her arms folded. Katie had to admit Ramirez looked pretty intimidating. The broker didn't even give Ramirez a second glance. He was probably so used to folks arriving with muscle and backup that they just became invisible to him. And he probably had muscle of his own scattered around every corner of the broken locust. Tell me about your unit, he said. Because I think I have just the right job for you depending on how you're outfitted. We've got a mix lance of five mechs, two heavies, two lights, and a medium. We run in a converted confederate class dropship and we're nimble. We've got the best mech technicians in the mercenary world, and we keep our equipment in tip-top condition. We've fought everything from clan assault mechs on down, and we keep winning. So if you've got anything a lance can help with, we've got everything you need. He nodded with every word she spoke, taking mental note. On his face, writ large, were the calculations he computed in his head, which he tilted back and forth. Jump ship too. No, just the dropship. Hmm. He made more mental calculations. And who did you say referred you? Sweat beaded on Katie's brow. Was this some sort of test? I was told no names, but she, uh... She said she did the Overstreet job for you. It took a long moment. Katie couldn't cope with the dread she felt in that pause. But eventually, he smiled. Very good. My clients value discretion, so we don't really use names if we can help it. Not here. Ramirez cleared her throat. <clears throat> if you don't know who we are, how do we get paid? Finally, the broker looked up and regarded Ramirez, but his smug smile never faded. An excellent question. We'll arrange another meeting to exchange the information about your banking accounts and at the same time will deliver the packet of information about this assignment. So, there's an assignment, Katie said, hopeful she'd done good. There was almost no way it could be this easy to book a job on Galatia. She didn't have to fight in a gladiator pit, and she didn't have to sell out the ideals of the Fox Patrol just to get some work. She did it right. She made the right contacts before coming and things were easy. She'd earned this. The clattering behind her dropped that feeling of triumph from her chest and replaced it with concern. She spun around to see what the commotion was. She figured it was a bad habit of hers she had to get out of because if it wasn't her business, she shouldn't care. But she also needed to be aware of her surroundings. The noise had been a bar stool kicked over and a woman dressed in black, or at least it looked black in the dim lights of the broken locust marched in the general direction of the broker's table, gun drawn. This woman looked nothing short of pissed. Katie, looking back at the broker, then back to the woman, realized this was her business. Rolando, the woman growled, raising the pistol in the broker's direction. He raised his hands, 
Hold on now, I think there's been some sort of mistake. I know we can sort this out. The whole thing was a setup. You think we can really sort that out? No, if something went wrong, we can work it. The broker, Rolando apparently, never got to finish his sentence. By the time the woman reached the table standing side by side with Ramirez, she fired her pistol. The slug hit Rolando in the left shoulder. The report was loud, and Katie's ears rang. She could barely hear any of the panicked crowd around her. The gunshot had the instant effect of making everyone in the broken locust flinch. Then, the smart ones by the door fled immediately. No drink in the world was worth staying for whenever shooting started. Katie just sort of sat there, watching the broker she'd pinned her hopes to bleed. He grabbed his shoulder, covering his hands in blood. His jaw set tight, and Katie was sure he screamed, but her ears still rang too loud to hear it. She knew the gun must have gone off again because she saw the muzzle flash once more, blinked, and then another leak had sprung in the broker. Another hole. This time, in his chest, right above the arm clutching his wounded shoulder. Katie looked up to Ramirez, who didn't regard her at all. Her eyes were scanning the room as she gauged the situation. There wasn't really anywhere for her to move, and that trapped Katie in the booth as well. The walls closed in on Katie. She felt tightened, under fire in a foxhole and looking for a way to jump over the wire in the other direction. Panic rose in her and she instantly hated herself for it. In her mech, there would have been no question about it. She'd have known exactly what to do. Only in her own skin did she feel naked, no matter how clothed she was. Without the comfort of her kit fox, she had no idea what to do. God damn it, she said to herself. Even the sound of her own voice felt distant. Underwater. She could barely hear it at all, only through the vibration she made when she spoke. The ringing hadn't subsided, and everything felt so far away. When the woman who killed the broker turned to Ramirez, Katie couldn't even fathom what would happen next. Would she take umbrage at their presence? Would she hold them responsible for whatever double cross she blamed on the broker? Katie couldn't hear a word, she said, but she was clearly upset and shouting something at Ramirez. Ramirez raised her hands in a non-threatening way, trying to calm the woman down, but that seemed to have no effect. She spoke, too, though Katie couldn't make out what she said, and that didn't help either. Slowly, sound seeped into Katie's understanding, then it came back all at once. She swallowed and yawned, hoping to bring it back further. It came back enough for her to function, but not soon enough to understand what Ramirez and the woman were arguing about. All she saw was Ramirez snap into action. Ramirez did two things at once, fast. First, she slapped the gun from the woman's hand and it clattered to the floor, sliding until it hit the wall. Second, she brought her foot up and smashed the woman's knee with her boot. The crack Katie heard. She couldn't tell if it was the gun hitting the floor or the woman's knee breaking. The only sound she could track for sure was the woman's scream. Ramirez grabbed Katie by the collar. We gotta go, she shouted as though she couldn't hear herself either, and then Katie was on her feet and ready to run. Now this, Ramirez said too loud and with a smirk, is what I call a party. Katie and Ramirez bolted for the door, 
but that didn't stop the woman. She hobbled toward her gun and Katie could faintly make out the instructions she was shouting. Get them! Don't let them get away! To whom the woman gave orders, Katie didn't know. Didn't want to know. She just wanted to escape. Katie's view was largely consumed by Ramirez, so first she didn't see the man standing at the entrance. But he looked mean and ready to prevent them from leaving, no matter the cost. She didn't notice a gun, but when she heard another gunshot, she couldn't quite pinpoint the sound as it echoed across the entire place. She looked back to find that the broker's killer hadn't retrieved her gun yet. Then Katie looked ahead, realizing Ramirez had drawn hers. At a full sprint, Ramirez wasn't as accurate as Katie would have hoped, and the guy in the doorway remained there. A bullet hole exploded in the plaster fresco right in the face of a painted rendering of Grayson Carlisle. Whoops, Katie said as though anyone could hear her. Ramirez fired again, but they were too close. The heavy in the doorway knocked her gun away and leaned in with a nasty left hook. She seemed to intuit that move, though, because she tilted her head so the blow only glanced the side of her face. Using all of her forward momentum, Ramirez got low, almost as if to tackle him, but came back up with her knee and drove it into his groin. He collapsed, clutching himself, and Ramirez jumped over him and turned, giving Katie a look that said, What are you waiting for? Unsure, Katie didn't feel comfortable jumping over the downed goon. What if he reached up and grabbed her? The bullet that whizzed by her head, shot from the woman at the back of the room, changed Katie's mind for her. She didn't hesitate for another second, and took a running leap over the man, pulling her feet far enough above him so he couldn't easily grab her. Landing on the other side, she felt relief until she heard another gunshot. Not feeling a hit, and not wanting to wait around to see who or what did get hit, Katie just followed Ramirez up the street opposite the direction they'd come. She only looked back once as they ducked into an alley and saw the man hobbling after them, the woman bursting out of the broken locust, a bull escaping its pen, turning and looking right at them. The woman had all the ferocity of a frenzied jade falcon hunting their prey. Run, Ramirez said to Katie. Just run. And run they did. This has been an excerpt from Fox on Galatia by Brian Young, a short story in the Fox Patrol series. The rest of the story can be found in Shrapnel Issue 9. The Fox Patrol series is a collection of short stories rotating around the aspiring mech warrior Katie Ferraro. If you want to see where it all began, you can check out The Secret Fox in Shrapnel Issue 3. And that brings us to not only the end of another deployment of Bungle Tech, but as well to the end of a year and our first season. We are quite intrigued to hear if you actually decide to put any of our ingenious classic Battletech party games to the test. If you do, please, for the love of Kerensky, let us know about it. As always, we've shared them on our public OneNote resource linked in the description. Mech Warriors. You can find us via Discord, email, Twitter, and Patreon, all linked in the episodes. Do make sure to check out our Patreon when you have a chance. We are doing some unique things with it, we feel. Until next time, Mech Warriors. 
good fortunes on the battlefield. Selah. All podcast objectives complete. Podcast shutdown sequence initiated.